Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Josh from You Me At Six and you're in for a treat. It's an absolute cracker of an episode. It was one of the last chats uh, I had in 2022 and uh, and it was a nice way to sort of sign off at the at the end of uh, of December, getting ready for a new year. Um, and speaking of the new year, there's some amazing stuff coming very, very soon. Um, if not now, by the time this comes out in January from You, Me at Six. Uh, we talk about that towards the end of the podcast anyway. Um, Josh is an absolute gent. We have a, a really, really lovely natter on this one. And, uh, and we will get on with that chat very, very soon. But quickly, I just want to say uh, a couple of thank yous. Um, firstly, to you lot for continuing to support the podcast. We're into another year now, and uh, and you're fiercely loyal. and And I really do appreciate every single one of you and every single one of the listens that you give up your time uh, to give me. So thank you. Uh, I want to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast. Um, it's an amazing true crime podcast, and uh, and the people over there produce this podcast for me. So thanks to to them. Go give them a follow. Uh, and always uh, love the Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, Pip's built up a wonderful network over there with some incredible podcasts. And, and I'm sure so many of you wouldn't even have heard of this podcast if you wasn't already listening to, to Pip and Distraction Pieces. He is the podfather. And, uh, and if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be doing any of this podcast shenanigans. So, so always um, big love to, uh, to Pipikins. Um, okay, well... Um, if it's your first time listening, um, go check out the back catalogue once you've finished uh, today's episode. Because, uh, well, if you you like your musicians talking uh, all, all things uh, rock and roll and life, then uh, then go check it out. Because I've had, who have I had on that you might want to listen to? I've had Henry Shikari on. I've had the Foo Fighters. I've had Tommy Lee of Motley Crue. I've had Papa Roach. Um cancer bats uh gosh public enemy and then if you like your kind of indie stuff then you can hear me talking to the killers the vaccines the kooks the list goes on and if you like your your actors uh then i've been really really blessed to have some wonderful chats with the likes of maxine peak joe hartley thomas turgus michael smiley uh so many helen bian so many of the the gang from This Is England, I've been really blessed to, to get to chat to. So, um, yeah, if you like your, your actors talking tunes, then um, then go get stuck in 
to the back catalogue and producers. I've had Butch Vig, uh, I've had William Albert, um, Fatboy Slim. Gosh, who else have I had? Gordon Raphael, that one's just about to drop. If it didn't, it dropped last week. Uh, super producer uh, responsible for the production of The Strokes, uh, Regina Spectre and the Libertines. Um, yeah, so that's all to be enjoyed. There's 400 plus episodes in that back catalogue, so go and get stuck in. If you'd like to support Off The Beaten Track, let me tell you how you can do it. I won't take long, and then we'll get on with the chat. There's two ways. You can just pop over to the show notes and there's a little thing called buy me a coffee and uh, you just click that and you buy me a coffee. Um, I like coffee, so uh, you can just go over there and just buy me a coffee. That'd be lovely. Um, or you can become a Patreon and it's a dollar a month. That's 80p a month. Um, so if you're being all healthy in January and uh, and you you know you knock the fags on the head or, or you've stopped boozing, then uh, a little bit of... I mean, it's tough at the moment to have... Uh, you know, this uh, a little bit of extra income, disposable income. That's the word I was searching for. Um, but if you do have a, a spare eighty pence a month, then um, you can support the podcast. Uh, and if you do that, then you get to come to the monthly live shows uh, and feature on them. You get to watch all the episodes. Uh, all the episodes are available to watch over on Patreon if you like to watch your podcasts. Um, loads of radio shows, um, hundreds and hundreds of um, episodes in the back catalogue over on Patreon that have never been released to the public. So, yeah, that costs you about 20 pence a week. And you can find that at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, off the beat and trackpodcast.com. Everything's at the website, off the beat and trackpodcast.com. That's beat and, not beaten. Beat and trackpodcast.com. Right. Let's get on with it. Please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with Josh from the incredible Yumi at Six. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Joining me today, Josh, how are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. The most relaxed podcast uh, guest I think I've ever seen. Are you literally just chilling in bed? Well, I've got, yes, in short, yes, that is what's happening. Um, but I have a situation where my partner is, because of the train strikes, is working from home, and I didn't feel it was fair for her to be working, because she's doing, like, what she'd call real work, yeah. whereas we're just chatting about music. So, yeah, um, yeah I said that she could have the, the living room and the office office space, I don't know what you call it, but, yeah. So I'm in bed, mate, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. You, you look, far, you look far more organised than me. Oh, do you know what? That, that, that's just a little wonky board behind me. Like, apart from that, what you can't see this side, absolute shit show, mate. Like, Is it? Yeah, <laughs> absolute chaos. Um, well, look, let's jump straight in. And for track one, mate, I want to ask you to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. I'm going to be by the Proclaimers. I listened to it again this morning before this. I mean, it's pretty perfect as far as an intro goes. Tell me why you chose it. Because it, it brings back loads of fond memories for me and usually it involves being pissed somewhere in Scotland, um, especially like Tea in the Park or something like that, where like it's just, I don't know, just gets silly when uh, a festival like that's taking place. But it's just a great tune. Um, 
and yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, it, it was the for some of the other songs in the other in the other kind of questions, I had to sort of like was umming and ahhing and digging deep, and this was the only one that like straight away I was like, there's nothing else that I even consider having a good intro in comparison to this. So it was just yeah, like a, a knee jerk reaction. I thought I'm going to go with it. I'm going to stay with it. Um, yeah, it's just, it's fun. It's a fun song as well. So I thought, you know, it's usually um, that's usually a good way to start any sort of any sort of track listing with something a little bit more, you know, a little bit more fun like that. It's a call to arms as well, isn't it? It's it's a proper rebel rousing tune, and yeah, and you get the payoff when it gets to the chorus. Like it's monster, isn't it? It's huge, and it's like I don't know. Again, like it's that thing of seeing seeing thousands of people all just screaming this with pints in their hands. For me, that is music. That's live music. Is when it's just like total unison of a large group of people um and yeah it's just it is it's a massive massive chorus um yeah and I'm, i often enjoy getting stuck in on this one for sure josh i want to ask you about um intros essentially but when the band started it would have been people would have got their music in much different ways to how they get their music now yeah. Uh, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of emphasis from labels being focused on things like TikTok and, and obviously the 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 influence that getting on Spotify playlists and, and such can, can can really, you know, shift shift records for bands. Um mm-hmm. and in in them spaces it's ferociously competitive. Yeah. Where you're seeing so many bands and artists starting with a chorus and 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 literally just hooking to try and grab them straight from the off tell me a little bit about if at all their considerations in your creative process uh i would be dishonest if i said that there hasn't been conversations which are about you know the formats in which people will be consuming our music um, and how that looks and feels and blah, blah, blah. I remember actually on our last record, Sucker Punch, our managers at the time were horrified that our opening track had about 50 seconds with no vocals at the beginning of it. And I think sometimes, look, I think there is nothing wrong with being aware of what what the kind of current climate is in music and there's nothing wrong with being aware of quote-unquote trends or things that are working i think however when it comes to songwriting if you're finding yourself genuinely shaping your art based on that then there's a big problem um and maybe that's maybe me romanticizing the process of making a song a bit too much but so if you start a song with a chorus because that that's serving the song sure cool if you're starting the song with a chorus as a trick because you think that's giving yourself the best chance for people to not turn you off so you can get that stream um tallied up i think there's I think that's a shame. I don't think, I, I think it's all down to the individual. It's all down to how they feel 
how intensely they feel about that sort of stuff. Um, and I've played the game at times, and as at times I've taken a, a seat on the bench um, and let other people, you know. And TikTok is one that I've I've definitely wrestled with. Um, as was the whole notion of, oh, you know, Rajo's song can't be longer than two minutes thirty. I mean, what? How can you properly? How can you prop? Sometimes, again, if it serves a song, we've got a song called Underdog, which is two minutes thirty, which we wrote in two thousand nine. So that had, had nothing to do with um, DSPs or you know, that sort of stuff. But just shaving time off a song or not setting it up properly um, for the sake of yeah, maybe or maybe not being played on the radio again, I think is a dangerous thing to do because sometimes, like we're in this conversation, a fan's favorite part of a song is an intro or the middle eight or the two-minute guitar solo, yeah. you know? You're potentially, um, yeah, you're potentially isolating fans and, and also isolating yourself from fans by going down that route. So I think it's a bit of a minefield for artists, but I think as long, if, if it happens naturally and it's part of just, it's just the outcome of, of that pursuit, then that's one thing. But I think if it's kind of more, it's kind of having too much time talked about and explored for those, those formats, I think that can be a bit dangerous. Absolutely. Tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you? Uh, it would be Hotel California by the Eagles. Okay. Um, and I think it's because it's the first time I have vivid, vivid memories of, I used to live in Cyprus when I was growing up. So from about the age of like four till seven, I lived in Limassol. And I say it brings, it had an emotional impact because it was like, me, my mum, my dad, my sister, all in the car, driving to the beach after school. And it was like, all year round was pretty much like that. And it was, and then also it would feel empty when my dad was away with work or, you know. So it's, a, it's, it's the first song that I attached to either really profound happiness of a family unity or, and us all singing a song in the car together or, people being absent and I remember being really sad about it and that's the first time that song and a song had either made me really happy or really sad but it was the same thing so I think yeah. in that sense it, it had a quite profound a quite profound impact on me um and yeah it's a classic obviously as well yeah absolutely was was home a musical place it was it really was um neither of my parents played instruments, but music was kind of the, I would say like the focal point of like our family bonding or any like, any time family friends would come over or family. But I'm, you know, I have so many memories of like mum and dad having, you know, three or four of their, of their couples, of their, of their best mates coming over. And it was like, music before they sat down for dinner, music whilst they were having dinner, and then the dancing music came on after dinner. And it was like, me and my sister Alyssa were always part of that. We're always dancing around with them. And, you know, just kind of also like, you know, I think the music that your parents grow you up on 
has such a kind of imprint on then the music you then pursue absolutely but, you know right, rightly or wrongly but like so for me it was like the police eagles jeffro toll fleetwood mac jimmy hendrix um you know phil collins just like just great great music um and then my dad would play me a lot of like corsican singer songwriter stuff which was a little less a little less enthusiastic about that but um yeah just you know and what was interesting is my mom or my dad would always like then depict a story of why they were playing me that song so it was never just like, oh, I'm playing you the song. It was always that. Always, it was always this thing which was always like a really colourful moment in their life or experience or something that was about them. So then, I guess in my formative years, that kind of um, introduced me to the idea of a song having a place in your life, always moving forward because it brings you back to a particular moment and how important it is to have that attachment. And that, I guess, that synergy between a song and a memory. Um, and so that's always been the way it's been ever since that, um, ever since that kind of like early stage of my life. So, yeah, I think a, a band like the Eagles was just kind of was involved in my childhood, whether I knew it or not, you know. So I think that's the power of music. Yeah, but um, that's, that's also like fantastic parenting to just kind of, attach something to every record and discuss that with you and that you know that paints a picture i think that's a really positive thing to to, to sort of you know pass to your children i think that's wonderful yeah thank you man it's, and it's definitely something that like we were a very um communication in our family was always like you know like if we had dinner it wasn't on a weekday after school it wasn't run to the table eat your dinner and piss off within 15 minutes it was like we're sitting at the table for an hour and a half mm. we're really like trying to understand how what people were feeling and thinking about their day and what they'd learn the good the highlights the the low lights sort of thing and that just i think has always been then such a contributing factor to me being aware of my emotions and therefore ultimately contributing to what I now do and have done for 18 years is my job essentially is telling stories or, you know, trying to paint pictures of, of, of my experiences and my, you know, my either turbulent moments or like really beautiful, happy moments. And I think, yeah, that, that combined with that, that idea of, and it'd be the same if like I would show my parents as I got older, like into my teenage years. And I was like, playing them like not stuff that was top 40 or capital fm but it was like lincoln park or incubus or system of a down and these sort of bands the first time and then being like dad i want you to take me to lincoln park because you won't let me go otherwise so can you be the one that let's go do that together and like that sort of stuff so music was always just such um i don't know it was just constantly woven into so many different aspects of like our family dynamic um it's just always been yeah such a potent part of our family dynamic so josh when did when did you move to the uk or did you go somewhere else before you came back to the uk from cyprus oh i was only, oh yeah i was only in cyprus from the ages of four to seven so you started school pretty much in the uk yeah pretty yeah, yeah like year three was in was in yeah, yeah year two year three was in, in the uk yeah 
Okay, well, let's let's stay in the formative years and let's talk school. Tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Josh. Well, so I, I kind of earmarked two. Okay. Because one, I'll let you have an honourable mention, mate. You're all right. Okay, well, I'm going to go with the honourable mention of of Out of Reach by Gabrielle. Yeah. Because there was a period in time where I was like, I think the ages of eight or sort of like 12, where my dad would drive me to Saturday football every Saturday um, to to train and then either play on a Sunday or we just, we'd just go straight into the match because at age eight, you don't really need to train. So anyway, like it, the radio is always on and Gabrielle just went on this, I guess what you'd call just an unbelievable run of just like dominating the British charts for like two or three years. And I just remember um, Out of Reach was always seemed to be, it was a classic sort of like stick it on at like, you know, nine, between 9 and 11 a.m. on a Saturday because everyone's adults probably getting up with a hangover putting the radio on and having a coffee and a fry up. So, um, yeah, I would hear a lot of Gabrielle. So it always brings me back to that memory of, like, me and my dad driving to football, uh, PD United, him watching me play, driving back. I was picking up some some breakfast stuff for my sister and my mum and then going back and I'd have a shower and by the time I was out, we are having breakfast together. And, yeah, um, so Gabrielle's always there. But, like, I remember, like, the first song that, discovering a song together with my sister was um, Perfect Ten, Beautiful South. And like, I think they were on top of the pops on the Friday night. So then on the Saturday morning, we walked down to, uh, it wasn't HMV, it was another record store that was in our high street. Might have even been Woolworths or something like that. And like, we bought Perfect Ten on cassette and then just went home and listened to it all day. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it was like the thing I would look forward to for definitely like a couple of months when we, that was probably the, the period of time when me and her first got to buy records, if you like, singles. And we didn't have, we didn't have um, a CD player. We had a cassette player between us. So was that, was buying Beautiful South. And like, it's a strange, it was one of those where like, it was kind of strange because it wasn't like, it wasn't like um, childish, like Beautiful South were like quite a sophisticated yeah. out, outfit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, you had like this eight-year-old and this 11-year-old or seven and 10-year-old like sitting in their living room listening to it and dancing around like a bit straight. It wasn't quite blue or like, um, you know, some of the other stuff that might got played like the school disco. So yeah, it was, um, I don't know, old souls maybe, I don't know. What an intro Perfect Ten's got. Yeah. straight in like yeah. so good and I mean you, you talk about the tear that, that Gabrielle went on then I think uh, Perfect Ten had just dropped after their their greatest hits carry on up the charts which at one point I'm sure the stats were Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One in three households in the UK owned the best of the beautiful South. That's pretty insane, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's wild because, again, like, I probably grew up in a period of time where the number ones each week were like 300,000 albums. Do you know what I mean? And like, you know, that's why now if like somebody gets anything plus anything up north of 50,000 is like a fucking huge first yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? And you know, and I mean, we've had a number one with 32 and another one with like 14. So it's like now, yeah, they're probably again, they were seven years apart. So it shows even then how much that changed in seven years. It was almost half of what would have got you number one could now do that now. So, I mean, yeah, they must have just been shifting units, like millions and millions of units yeah, a month. Um, just, just a completely different time. That's always my favorite. I remember, I'll never forget this conversation I had with one of our first, like, A&Rs, my first A&R experience at EMI was, and Virgin was this guy saying to me, oh, mate, if you'd been a band 10 years ago, you'd all have mansions already. And I was like, fuck it. Cheers, mate. What good is that? What good is that? <laughs> you know, being 2009, 2010, you're saying if we just popped up in the late 90s or early 2000s, we'd be swimming in it. It was sort of like, yeah, because just record sales, even then we're just starting to like, you know, as I said, there'd be a handful of releases a year, which would really be impressive numbers. Yeah. Um, Cheers for the motivational speech, Gov. Lovely. Yeah. Cheers, man. <laughs> <Love> that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Look, I mean, I, I could also talk about how beautiful Gabrielle's voice is, which she seems to have just kind of disappeared now, which seems a shame because, like you say, she went on a tear. But her voice, there's something really, really beautiful about it. Not just that track. The track is. Give me, give me just a little more time. Pure sort of stacked soul sound to it and her voice just oh, breaks me in half mate but yeah. let's talk school did you enjoy school and also you mentioned Woolies and moving to the UK where was school so I grew up in uh, Weybridge Surrey um, it's kind of like just suburbia I guess like we're, I mean we used to when I was a teenager you'd be sort of being you could be in Waterloo within like 20 minutes so it was kind of Southwest London, I suppose. Um, but really like, you know, sort of probably about 20 minutes from Kingston, Guildford, stuff like that. So there were some bigger towns, if you like, near us, but Weybridge has got absolutely nothing about it, really. Um, and just very leafy, lots of trees. But like school was, school was fine, man. But I was like, you know, primary school is a piece of piss because... You know, everyone's just floating about, really, aren't they? Um, secondary school, you're sort of 
there's so many things you're discovering for the first time. So it's like exciting, but equally as confusing in, in equal measure. Um, and I think sort of in the year 10, year 11, so sort of age sort of 14, 15, 16 was challenging because it was just in that period where like you were defined actually, you know, in, at least in my school, you were defined on the music you listened to and what you wore. So I would have been what people would have referred to as a metler or a Grebo at school. Um, and like the Chavs and the Pikeys were, weren't great. But also, I mean, it was sorry. Like it's nowhere near as bad as what it could have been. Do you know what I mean, like I could have been in a school in, in, other, in other parts of the country where you would have really gone through it. So I'm not going to complain too much. But it was just even interesting then how like, you know, you start in your first bands and like you'd be, you'd, there'd be like the band dudes in the corner at lunchtime and then you'd be the football lads. But I was kind of both. So I was the only person out of my friendship group that was that was in bands or like metal or guitar music that then would then go and play football with everybody. Um, but there was that kind of period between sort of like, sorry, 13 and 15, where it was all very much like, you're a metaler, you're different, you're getting a slap versus then when you got to like the last two years, like GCSE years, everyone was sort of like just growing up that little bit more where they realised how juvenile and stupid that all was. Yeah. Everyone just became mates, everybody, unless you're a, you know, not a nice person. So, but I, I was, you know, I was very much, especially my last year, I got into truancy a little bit um, because I was like, especially on a Friday, if there's a gig, it was all about, you know, baying on school, getting a couple of cans in the park or around somebody's front room, getting ready to go to the gig, the local gig, firing up on the train or firing up down to London. It was either like Guildford, Woking, Reading, or or go up to London and just being like, you know, you'd be pissed off like half a bottle of white lightning. So it was, it was a, good, a good time. Um, but yeah, so that was my last year at school. I mean, I pretty much got, I got suspended and, I, and they basically the school told me at one point that I wasn't going to be allowed to do my GCSEs. And I think that freaked my mum out. Um, so... I kind of knuckled down for just that last six months, but I was always, I was so lazy at school, man. Like I just, I just saw all of it so pointless. Like I just didn't see the value in doing chemistry or like, do you know what I mean? Just things that like didn't speak to me. So I was kind of. Did you know what you wanted to be? Yeah. I knew at like 14 that like I wanted to be playing music. So I loved music, anything creative, anything that was an extension of my creativity or being able to put my stamp on something. So that could have been music, art, um, woodwork, even PE, you know, like something where it's like, oh, this is me in this, in this space versus like, you know, practical stuff, mass. I love, like, for example, I loved English literature. Like, I, you know, anything to do with words I found fascinating anything to do with symbols or maths. I was like, this is just not me at all. Um, and I thought I found history really, really interesting. So I'd love learning about why things were the way they were now based on how we got there. Um, but I think school, I, I, I don't know if the kind of like the, 
I don't know if like the infrastructure school is ever going to change, but like there are some kids that find them, find themselves lost in that system because the way, and I do, I worry sometimes, are we suppressing inadvertently people's real talent? By, hugely, hugely. You know, and, and, and I think me and my partner have spoken about, you know, as and when we have children, like, do we do we homeschool them or do we are we more like a nomad family where we kind of like live in different parts of the world and teach them all about life? I mean, like, you know, I pay my accountant, you know, more money than I is that sometimes makes you feel comfortable. And I'm like, you know, it's wouldn't it have been good to have been taught how to really understand doing your taxes or like, you know, how to be an electrician at school, even at a young age, like been learning how to like change a light bulb, change a fuse, just things that actually hold currency, I think, in everyday life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, I think I just, I didn't, I didn't deal too well with, you know, the, the, the notion that learning stuff that I knew I couldn't really implement into Josh Franceschi, even at a teen, as a teenager, I just didn't, I had no interest. So I was quite happy to be out of school. And then oddly enough, I was only in college for a year and then the band took off. So I left college at 17. So, but then weirdly, I did really academic stuff at college because I was, I had the, the band as like a vehicle already on the side to like, I was going off and gigging, but then I was doing like politics, business studies, uh, and film studies. So, I mean, film studies isn't really that academic, academics just watching City God and shit, but like, you know, the business <laughs> studies, and, like the politics side of stuff was, I found fascinating. Yeah. Um, and maybe, yeah, played a role in all that stuff. Was you confident at that age? Uh, uh, what, in college? Yeah. At the point where like, you, you know, you, you'd left school and, and you, like you said, you had the sort of band at the time as a, a bit of a sort of side hustle alongside your studies and, you know, where where was you like at that point with with confidence? Because you've obviously gone on to to play on stages in front of thousands of people that, you know, most people would just think, oh, I don't know, anyone could ever do that. And you know, and and you're up front as well. You know, you're the 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 centre of attention. Like that that involves a level of confidence. I think a lot of people haven't got. Tell me about where where you was at with confidence in them sort of formative years. Um, truthfully came in waves I think I think it came in 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 little fleeting visits but I mean like it was weird like I was meant to be I'll never forget the Easter before our GCSEs I was turning around to my dad being like dad we got a gig on Saturday and it's sold out because I've sold all the tickets to my mates at my secondary school I was like I'm gonna make four five hundred quid from this like I have to go and do it I can't you know so a hundred quid each or eight quid each which you're 15, you know, it's, yeah. it's decent, decent wedge. It's better than working at a supermarket, whatever. Um, so my dad would do this thing where he'd take my mum out for a meal so I could run down to the local, like, youthy, play a gig, run home and pretend I'd been revising whilst they'd been out. But, I'd, but in terms of confidence, I had the confidence to do that and understood, like, how that all worked. But then would spend 80% of the show with my back to the audience or like side on. 
And so I think it was only really when I left college, so but I would still have been 17 when we there was a year where we got a manager and he just said, because my college was very much the thing of like, well, they, they let me leave for a year and I could come back and still have my place. And so he was like, the only way that you're, you guys are going to figure it out and figure out if you're any good at any of this is just by, by being on the road. And so he literally just had us on tour after tour after tour. And I think it was only really through doing that that the confidence grew because it had to. You can't stand in front of a room of like 300 people with your back to them, you know, especially if you want to try and make a career out of it. You've got to try and win them over and you've got half an hour to do it. So just one of those things that um, baptism of fire and just kind of trial and error relentlessly for years, I think kind of built it. But there wasn't really a correlation between being like, having any level of confidence at school or in the band and bouncing off one another, that didn't really, unfortunately didn't really happen for me. Yeah. Tell me the first record you remember buying. The first record I remember buying, and I would argue has been, was a Bible for me at that point, was Make Yourself by Incubus. Um, and I bought it from my, it's a record store in Kingston called Banquet Records. Shout out Banquet Records, mate. Shout out Banker Records, uh, John Tolley and all the crew. Um, they've been so uh, they've been so integral to pretty much every album release we've ever had. Everything's gone through them. It's been brilliant um, being like a local band and working with probably I think in the country that's probably the the, the biggest kind of go to record store in terms of their outdoor capability and you know there's there's not an artist they haven't had come through Kingston because of Banquet so it's something that yeah they should all be very John in particular should be very proud of putting together but um yeah and they were great like you know you'd go into a store like Banquet and like I think I was I was in my Lincoln Park phase and sort of my system of that my new metal phase and they always had this thing on like the tags of the albums for fans of, and I remember just picking up Incubus, it said like, for fans of Linkin Park. And I guess the only, the only thing I can think now is because there was DJs in both bands, right? Or uh, Death Scratchers or whatever you want to call them. And like, I'm just going into the corner. They'd let you listen to the album before you bought it. So you could like open it all up, put it in a CD player, put some headphones on. And I think it's Privilege, is track one on Make Yourself. I'm get, I think it is, but I remember getting to like the warmth and like make yourself and pardon me and oh, drive. Pardon me when that chorus yeah. drops, man. Fuck. Yeah, I remember just like just this. I literally, literally sat and listened to that record from start to finish, just standing up with my jaw on the floor, being like, "What the fuck is this? Like, what is this?" And then just turning around to John. And the staff, I was like, what else like this do you have? And they were like, okay, well, if you like that, you're probably going to like their record science. They've just put out a new record called Morning View. So I actually picked up all, pretty much all of Incubus's back catalogue. And then like, I think, I think off the back of that, it was like Finch, what it is to burn. And then he was like, if you like this, come back in a few weeks because I've got a shipment of like, this record label drive through records, which will be basically all the bands that this lab this band's record label is 
And it was just like that. Like, so it's like, I found like bands like Incubus and Finch and like, before I found like bands like Blink-182. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was strange because I was just kind Most of like... Most people would have done it the other way around, right? Yeah, totally. And like, and I mean, I didn't, I didn't really even get into Blink until... I think I got into them on self-titled and I went backwards. Yeah. I was like, oh, then it was like, Dickie, you can take off your pants and jacket and like all these other records. And I was like, fucking hell, I've been sleeping on this. And like, you know, I, but then there's still to this day, there's bands like The Offspring and Green Day that I've just never, never really listened to. Yeah. I've heard Green Day on the radio. I've seen them at festivals, but it was weird. There's like another sector of bands, like, even like bands like El Nino, like I was listening to more than I was like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like the Green Day basket case. So, Strange. So I was a metaler without being a metaler. But I guess, uh, you know, with bands like Green Day and Offspring, you can, it's so easy to get overexposed to, to music like that, isn't it? And if somebody... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've got a tastemaker at, at, at banquet feeding you stuff like Finch and, and stuff that's sort of floating a little bit underneath the radar somewhat, that's way more exciting and interesting as well, right? Yeah, totally. And I think like, so having bought that record, having bought Make Yourself and then being kind of like fed all this different stuff, you then discovered that like I was part of like what felt like a secret, almost like a secret society, especially with like, the American emo pop punk MySpace thing. I mean, MySpace, to be fair, was only just coming into inception and in sort of like my late, like my sort of late school years, my secondary, secondary school years. But like, you know, you'd go to a gig at the Underworld to watch Hidden Plainview and there'd be like 300 people there and everybody that was there, you were like, they're the only people in the whole of London that know about this band. It was the way that I thought of it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, um and then like at the same time i remember like going and watching uh finch at the london astoria 
and like I think Million Dead supported them. So then I became a fan of like Million Dead and like Frank Turner. Or like going and watching like the early November starting line at Anne Berlin at Mean Fiddler. And again being at the Mean Fiddler and thinking we're the only people in the world right now that matter because we're watching the three best bands in the world, in our opinion, in the set on the same bill. Yeah. And it was just really like it was just a really cool not cool isn't like cool, but it was like a it felt like a cool thing to be part of. Like it just felt like this really like underground scene because it wasn't like, it wasn't top 40. They weren't even, these bands weren't even being put on the cover of Kerrang. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it was, you know, newfound glory maybe, but like bands like Finch weren't, weren't on the cover of Kerrang, but were selling out two nights at Astoria. So it was like, you've just felt like you're part of this like really like secret society. It was dope. Absolutely, absolutely. Shout out Glassjaw as well, because they were floating underneath that radar at that point oh, as mate. well. Glassjaw, I remember if that was in the same sitting, because I, I picked up um, Worship and Tribute the same day, I think, that I got Make Yourself, and I was just like, what the, f- what is this? <laughs> what is this? Like, just completely over the top. And then they, they sort of like opened the door to bands like Lex on Fire, The Bled, you know, like some of that other stuff. It's just like, yeah, it's just wild. Like, so as other people have been brought up on MTV and Kerrang TV, which is cool. I didn't have Sky. So I was brought up on like whatever, whatever record was in, in Bank Record, which said for fans of, and if I was already a fan of that band, I just bought it. Yeah. And I found so many great bands like North Star. That's how I discovered Taking Back Sunday. Therefore, I discovered all the bands on Victory Records. Um, and then, then came Fueled by Ramen, you know, and all the bands on that. So it's just like, yeah, it was a great time. Lovely. Let's go clubbing. Tell me the song that soundtrack your years in Clubland, mate. Clubland. So, so I guess like, I used to go out with a girl in St. Albans, and there was because I didn't really go clubbing mm-hmm. unless I was staying at hers on the weekend, and I got roped into going to it basically. Um, are we talking it, like kind of commercial high street clubbing? Not, yeah, not dirty like, rock bar. Like I'm, t- I'm talking like vodka revs. I'm right, talking like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, and again, like we would do actually. In fairness, when we made our first proper record, we were living in Reading. Um, so this would have been like 2008, 2009, and we it was the first time like our mates had gone off to uni, so we were like. We had three flats between us in Reading Town Centre, um, right round the corner from a, a pub called the Turk's Head. So we used to go and have a couple of pints in the Turk's Head. We'd walk down to Reading High Street, go to the Purple Turtle. We'd then go to this place, which is called, like, I want to say, I can't remember what it's called now, but it was this club in Reading. It was the only, like, rock club, and it was uh, ish. They had a rock nut, a rock room a metal room and then like a top 40 room and the, but that was only open on Mondays and Tuesdays then the other clubs were basically like Vodka Revs or um, what was the place in Kingston called Hippodrome stuff like that and I wasn't really like a clubber because like we were on tour so much but I remember it was like Change the Way You Kiss Me by example was always on and in the clubs and I kind of like 
just it brings back memories of, like being back home or when I was set my girlfriends and like going to their club nights in Hertfordshire like just WKD nonsense do you know what I mean? Like, the shit drinks. If they ever made a compilation album of that era of dance music, it should be called WKD Nonsense, mate. That's the right. name of the record. Isn't it? Like, it was just... It was sort of shit, mm. right? Yeah, but it was, 100%. But also brilliant in the same time. Like, I don't know. And it was just kind of like... Because it just wasn't my thing. I didn't listen to that kind of music at all, unless I was in that environment. Mm. So it kind of just became like a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Like I, I'd look at those night, nights as like, oh yeah, we're going down there. You know, some of us might be on the pool, whatever. We'll have a couple of drinks and, you know, we'll, we'll get there for about 10, 11 o'clock. We'll bail by one, two, and that's it. It was never like, you know, it wasn't like a rave or anything like that, yeah. but um, maybe it's a bit later on in life, but. Yeah, so probably, uh, so probably, probably example and friends like example, Tiny Tempo, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take you home. Favorite song from an artist from your home county? Oh, you know what? I've misread this question. That's fine, man. When I I thought, you know I, what? I that's not it. that's not a Geordie accent I'm hearing. And uh, <laughs> don't, honestly, Josh, you will be. I think this is episode 441, and I reckon you're probably about the 400th and 10th person that's gone, Oh, fuck, county. I thought it was country. So don't worry, mate. You're one of hundreds. All right. Well, okay. I'll think my feet here. Then I've got um, the only other bloke that I know sort of lived in Surrey was simply Red. I'm pretty sure of it. What's his name? Nick Huck, Mick Hucknall? Mm-hmm. Is that simply oh, I thought he was Mancunian. Yeah, but he lived in Surrey when I grew up. Oh, so really? He was from my home county. Right. But he's not from there. I mean, who's... Who from... I'm, I wouldn't even tell you an artist from Surrey at all. Reading? Who you got in Reading? You had Does It Offend You? Yeah, they were from Reading. Uh... Oh, you know, I could go, I could go hard fight because they were from Staines. They were, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember any of the names of their songs. You might be able to help me out. Have a little. Uh, Living for the Weekend, Hard to Beat. Uh... I'll know it when I see it. Hard fight. They're, they're making a comeback now, aren't I they? I did see that. I did see that. They had some. They're playing the forum. They blew right up and then just seemed to just completely disappear. Cash Machine, I think, was their first one. Tied up too tight. That was yeah. the best one they've done. Oh, I yeah, Cash Machine was cool. I mean, any one of them. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, look, do you know what? Let's let's go country anyway because you put Sam Fender and, and I mean, he's doing all right, isn't he? Yes, mate. I think he's... Um, I think he's... I think he's probably one of the most interesting artists that we've had for as long as I've been in the music industry, so almost 20 years, he's the one that has been like, as a solo artist as well, I know he has a great group of friends and a great group of band behind, a great band behind him. But he's almost at a time when everybody was kind of trying to adhere to song structures for radio and TikTok and like, was trying to tap into whatever was on trend. He's the absolute opposite of that. Yeah. You know, like, you know, 17 going under, what is that song structure? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is the chorus? I know what the hooks are in the yeah. chorus, in the song, but it's not a traditional A, B, A, B sort of yeah. thing. And 
I just think he's unapologetically himself. I think that's why the Northeast have as claimed him as their as their son, yeah. if you like. Two nights at St James's Park is mind-boggling, um, but totally justifiable, I think. Um, and yeah, I think he's just a very earnest songwriter and very you can tell he's had a colorful upbringing yeah where he's from in north shields and like and but he, he's just a story is it's old school he's telling stories mm. he's not looking necessarily for a tagline which people here on the radio wants to go oh yeah that's that throwaway throwaway comment you know all that and there's just it got for me it just instills again that concept of write something beautifully, painfully honest and the people will come. Yeah. Be a storyteller. Don't try and be a shapeshifter and don't look at the charts. Don't look at how to get on the big playlist and all this sort of stuff, which I do understand the currency it holds. I do understand the importance of it, but he's done it unashamedly himself and the way, the way he wants to do it. And it's just, it's all about the songs. Yeah. And I thought it was fucking quality. So yeah, he's before, definitely my people's champion for sure. Before we get on to uh, the last track, um, I asked you about confidence earlier, and 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 you, you you've mentioned several times how long the you know you've been uh, doing the band to maintain success in such a tough industry is not easy. Certainly at the the sort of level of success that 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 your bands had. Confidence aside, tell me about how driven you are. Um, I think so. It, it, there's been different kind of like injections of why along the way to be driven, but the catalyst at the, at the, at the beginning was to because what we touched upon earlier, like not feeling like I felt comfortable in the environment of that structured education school college university so i was like i'm good at this and this is a way out of not having to do that and then as i mean it didn't take long for us to you know i think we headlined the astoria when i was 18 so it's like it did take long for us to find our feet and really get moving um that's a, mo- that's a moment, right? Yeah, I think we're one of... It's only us, the Arctic Monkeys and the Darkness that have sold out these stories and unsigned band. So we had lots of, like, victories along the way, which then just continued to to act as, as, as a reason to be like, well, we've done this, we've got... So, I mean, our, our, our target by the age of 20 was Wembley Arena which is like ridiculous because, we, because we'd already done Brixton. So we're like, well, what is it now? It's got to be Wembley. How do we get there? I think basically there's, there's luck, obviously there's talent, but if you don't work hard or if you're not driven, if you don't get out of bed every day with something, it doesn't matter how big or how small, the intention is or the purpose is without that in music you won't you will not make it it has to become your life yeah. and 
you have to be measured, I think. And I mean that in the sense of you can't believe your own hype. You do that, you fucking finish before you know it. And you also can't be your violin player when something's going bad. You have to be, you know, just... There's a great, there's a great Robert De Niro thing that seems popping around all over the internet for the last few years. But it's just like, just, just take it all. Just this, this too will pass. Just calm down, like good and bad. And I think, you know, I've just, I've had that in in me at all times. And I think, especially during probably at the the biggest our band's been, or like when the the highest up trajectory was happening at a rampant rate was when probably when my dad was suffering the most with his profession and was unemployed and was really struggling. And so we set up a merch company together. He did the band's merch. We then set up a clothing company together for me, which he basically ran and did. And it was something that was on my mind was you might have what you think is everything right now, but you can quickly have nothing. So that's always been a driving force. And I've, I've not come from money, although I grew up in, some people would say on paper, like Surrey is a very well-to-do area and an affluent area. There's definitely parts of that for sure. But like in any area, there's affluence and there's poverty. And we were neither one. We were sort of like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, one holiday a year, but saved up for it sort of vibe. Yeah. So I know what it's like to like, I've never been poor, but I've never been rich really until, until I've, uh, I've, you know, I've had a job since I was 14, 15. So like, I, under, I understand um, the correlation between working really fucking hard and being successful Yeah. and nobody giving me like, no one's ever opened the door for you at six. We've smashed it down. Yeah. So I guess there's been moments where, no, an understanding has happened where I know I'll never forget marching up to the the MD of EMI being like, You're blocking our music at the moment, you don't want us, we don't need to be here. Pick Emily Sando over us, that's fine. Just let us go from your label, rip up the contract, let us go. It was me that did that at twenty one. Not our management, not some lawyer. It was me who went up to him at the Christmas party. And got him to agree, and he ripped up the contract a week later. So it's like, I've just always believed that if, like, you have to treat people well, but you also have to not be a sucker. You have to work your ass off. And, like, no is not an answer. I don't mean that in every aspect. I mean that when it comes to work, like, someone slamming a door in your face is just just presenting you with a new way of breaking down a door. What are you going to use this time? The crowbar? Do you know what I mean? Like you've got to get through it. So yeah, there's always been an immense sense of drive and purpose in this band for sure. Wonderful. There's a lyric from uh, my pal Scroobius Pip and uh, and it's, uh, you see a mousetrap, I see free cheese and a fucking challenge. And I love that. And I just think that that, <laughs> that sums up the music industry for me. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Um, okay. Last track. Uh, this is when you get to be a tastemaker, mate. A song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear. Sure. Well, I, I've gone with "I Should Take Care" uh, "Take." Sorry, "I Should Take Better Care" by Cody Frost. 
Cody's an artist that stumbled across. Um, well, I say stumbled across. I was directed by my friend Matt Hughes when I was asking people online who I should check out as potential features because um, I wanted to give a platform to some newer artists on our record. He put me in, he showed me her. I messaged her that day on Twitter, been like, I think your voice is stunning, haunting, just vulnerable, just perfect for this and perfect for the song we have. Um, and she was stoked because I think she's a massive Yumi Six fan. So she was all over it and she jumps on it and she sounds incredible on our song that we have coming out in January on the record. So yeah, I think she's, it's a no brainer for me, for her to, to be the choice for sure. I, I'd not heard her voice before and obviously doing prep on this, I listened. It's, it's marvellous, man. It's, it's something special, yeah. that voice. Um, we make it really easy for listeners of podcasts to go and explore it because we put together a Spotify playlist, Josh, of all the tracks that we've spoken about today. You mentioned new music in January. What's happening? Yeah. New album comes out January 27th. Um, and then we start our UK tour that night. but And it ends at uh, Alexandra Palace in London on February 11th. So it's going to be a good one. And then I've got to be best man at some wedding. I say some wedding, my best mate's wedding a week later. And then we start a European tour. So it's all kind of happening. But um, yeah, lots of, lots of great stuff going on. Wonderful. Uh, Josh, if people want to keep up to speed with everything that's happening, where's the best place? All the usuals, mate, to be honest with you. Social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Spotify, Amazon, Deezer. You name it, we're there somewhere about. Just usually you me at six, type it into that and you'll find it. Wonderful. Josh, it's been really nice chatting, man. Thank you so much for your time, buddy. Absolute pleasure. Thank you much for your time and thank you for having me. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. There you go. Wonderful chat. Ah, what a top fella. Um, Yeah, go check out the new material from... Uh, you me at six go check out the back catalogue if you've not done so already um wonderful band uh wonderful gen um wish them all the best this year with the the the, the tours uh so exciting to see a band you know still going stronger than ever um you know and and j- just touching on the stuff they said like unsigned bands you know selling out your story that's that's impressive man that shows crazy levels of drive and focus and yeah, and as it said, that hard work's paid off. And uh, yeah, much love to him. As mentioned at the beginning, go check out the back catalogue. Um, if you like your rock and rollers, then honestly, I've had hundreds on. Go and have a good old rummage around wherever you get your podcasts. Just search off the Beaten Track podcast uh, and you'll find loads of your favourite um, artists on there. I mentioned Shikari. I mentioned, did I mention Frank Carter? Uh, great chat with Frank Carter over there. Cancer Bats. Um, gosh, stacks of them. Go and have a rummage, and uh, and I'll be back next time. In the meantime, be excellent to each other. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.